This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. Skylake goes for gold and platinum. Intel launches Xeon Scalable Platform. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with Top500.org. I'm Addison Snell. That's Michael Feldman. Michael, a big news story we've been waiting for this week in HPC as we finally got the official launch of the Skylake platform from Intel, which is now officially launched as the Xeon Scalable Platform. Right. I mean, this has been in the in the mix for a while. There's uh, Intel has talked about this uh, for quite a few months now. It seems like a lot of the information is already out there. Of course, none of the product information is out there. Just the general architecture. They had they had spec that out pretty well. But this makes it all official, and they they added some more detail as well to the the part of the announcement. Right. This is now comparisons against the previous generation Broadwell. They're talking about. Workload-driven performance with an average performance boost of 1.6x over the over the Broadwell performance. There's an increase in per-core performance, up to 27% more cores, more interconnect options, in particular with the integration of OmniPath now into the Xeon and Xeon Phi. There's 50% more memory bandwidth, more channels. There's 50% more PCIe I.O. bandwidth. Uh, there's advancements with the Intel Quick Assist, uh, and uh, quite notably, something called AVX 512, which for certain HPC applications can offer double the floating point per, uh, performance, double the flops per clock. Altogether, it's adding up to what Lisa Spellman, their vice president of marketing for DCG, called, quote, the biggest data center advancement in a decade. <laughs> Well, yeah, hyperbole aside, I think some of these features are definitely going to make uh, make a big splash. I think, you know, what you mentioned, the AVX 512, that's going to be especially interesting to the people that we cover, the uh, the HPC group. They, they're they always hungry for, for flops, and this basically gives uh, the folks using these processors the same capability or the same vector capability as the ones uh, using the Xeon Phi. Previously, those are the only processors that had this AVX 512, these wide vectors, uh, certainly with more cores on the Xeon Phi, but now with on the on these multi-core CPUs, it does give them that that extra performance per clock cycle, basically, for these uh, these new processors. I think there's more here, though, than the ABX 512 to look at. I think there are some, some real advancements that they've made over the previous generation chip. Now, we should start with some of the basics, that they're laying out the different configurations here according to their Olympic sponsorship levels, uh, starting from bronze and silver down at what they're calling the, the value end, and then up through the, the mainstream in HPC with configurations at gold and even platinum. So platinum is the top of the line that offers up to 28 cores in two, four, or eight socket configurations. Gold has up to 22 cores in two or four socket configurations. So the configurations overall, it comes in two, four, or eight. That eight socket is up at the, the platinum side. And then there are even advancements within that. The cores in this case used to be um, in more of a ring topology. Now you have something called an Intel mesh architecture where the cores in the mesh 
uh, where the cores on each socket are in a mesh configuration with more interconnects between the different cores. There's also advancements in the cache hierarchy where each um, core now has more private cache. It used to be 256 kilobytes of private cache now has one megabyte of private cache. Now the, that's at the L2 level. The L3 cache has shrunk a little bit from 2.5 megabytes per core to 1.375, which is a little better than half of what it was before. But there's even an enhancement there where the previous generation had what was called inclusive cache, where every line that was in L2 was also replicated in the L3 cache. Now that new L3 cache is non-inclusive, which means a line that's in your L2 cache doesn't necessarily have to be replicated in L3, so they're making more efficient use of that L3 cache. The different uh, sockets are connected with the UPI, which is their UltraPath interconnect that has enhancements over the previous generation QuickPath interconnect, or QPI. Uh, and then, of, of course, each uh, socket also has Three at uh, three times 16 PCIe slots, so that's 48 PCIe Gen 3s, and the integration of OmniPath. So there's a lot going on in each of these sockets. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, it's interesting as, as you sort of get up into this, uh, what is almost like a many core realm. I mean, 28 cores is, is now a lot of cores. That was, I think, uh, relative to the, the early Xeon 5, that was about the same number of cores. So now they're they're doing these uh, these other architectural changes sort of to to meet that uh, that high core count like especially with the with the cache hierarchy being different they had to adjust that or they felt they wanted to adjust that to get better performance per core out of these things so i, I think as you get into the many core realm you, you see these architectural changes and they've been very aggressive at doing this it's interesting that that some of these things I mean, they've they've upped, like you said, the channel, the memory channel count to six per socket, and the and the PCI lanes to to 48. But as we talked about uh, the AMD Epic chip just uh, a week or two ago, that actually is is over and above what what even uh, uh, Intel has done here. They've got eight channels per socket and 128 lanes of PCI, which is a lot more PCI. But they're they're going for sort of a different type of system in a sense they're going for they're they're interested in single and dual socket systems they're not interested in the four eight socket systems that intel is going for but the um the amd is very much more concerned with uh high memory capacity and, and memory bandwidth and uh they're probably going to come out on the on the lower end of the actual performance especially in flop since it doesn't implement anything like uh, avx 512 at this point yeah, you're right. With the Epic launch that we just saw from AMD, I think memory bandwidth is going to be one feature where they have an advantage over the uh, Intel Xeon scalable platform. But e even so, with the six channels uh, on the Xeon, they're looking at a one, one and a half terabytes maximum per socket of memory bandwidth. So memory bandwidth is, is certainly something that's going to come up at the application level. Even power is touting memory bandwidth still as an advantage over over Xeon. Um, now with the AVX 512 and all the benchmarks, it, this is where in HPC it becomes a slugfest now and people get to really fight over what's going to have the better performance. But I think overall we're seeing a lot of improvements in this uh, Intel Skylake uh, based on Perly. 
Yeah, if we see that 1.6 average performance on those benchmarks transfer over to actual applications or or get near it, that that would be a big a big jump. I know mean, we just we just covered Nvidia and they have like a 1.5x performance from their Pascal generation to their Volta generation. So this is on that sort of order, but again, you have to see what happens on the application side rather than on synthetic benchmarks. But that's uh that, that's a healthy jump, It'll, and uh, if they can uh, realize that in practice, that'll be uh, quite a, uh, a rationale for upgrading. Another uh, interesting data point on the AVX 512 is that they said that that gets them up to 4.83 gigaflops per watt. Now, that's using the double flops per clock, but doing a little bit of multiplication, if you rounded that off to five gigaflops per watt, but it, which it isn't quite, that implies that up at the exaflop level, they'd be requiring about 200 kilowatts on that order to deliver an exaflop. Now, that's you know still uh, an order of 10, one order of magnitude off of where people would like to see an exaflop, but that's doing that without any kind of accelerator or coprocessor on it and, and you're already getting there just within the Xeon line to, to get within that order of magnitude. I think that's a big advancement. Yeah, that is. I mean, you're not going to get, I would say you're not going to get the exascale uh, in 2020 or 2022 on the Xeon line, but certainly it'll it'll catch up eventually as as some of these first exascale systems with more power efficient processors uh, are used initially, but that, that is a nice advancement there. And, and certainly as you sort of, as you double up on those vector uh, widths, that's, that's sort of how you do it. I mean, that's, that's sort of the low hanging fruit on how you get better energy efficiency. So uh, it's, it's certainly interesting and, and for applications that vectorize easily, it's going to be a, a valuable feature for sure. Uh, other things that were part of this announcement that I think were noteworthy, they also talked about something called VMD, which was for managing their NVMe SSDs. They also had a new form factor that they called colloquially a ruler because that was what the shape it was. It was a stick of 3D NAND, and they announced that they could get up to one petabyte in one U using this Intel 3D NAND SSDs in that ruler form factor. I remember when a petabyte was a lot of storage. <laughs> yeah, that's that's quite a feat if you could put it in in one U of a rack. That's uh, that's quite dense. But I mean, I'm I'm guessing that is going to cost you a fair amount of change to, to buy one petabyte of uh, SSD. I think another important detail in this launch that maybe uh, isn't getting as much attention as it should is something called Intel Select Solutions. These are reference designs on how to deploy, which are going to be workload optimized. Something that we've made. Uh, a lot something's come up a lot in our research is how how much there's an end user need to really help get guidance on what kind of configurations are best for their existing workloads and what kind of performance they can uh, expect so to go into Intel Xeon and say that they're going to have these select solutions they have OEM partners lined up for them starting with from some of the the bigger, higher volume applications, but if they can continue to expand that, I think that Intel Select Solution is is going to be an important competitive factor. Yeah, and I think that's important for Intel, especially since they've basically combined the what used to be the E5 lines and the E7 lines. They've got you know a ton of SKUs now, and uh, you know it becomes a confusing mess for somebody who 
who needs to go and figure out what exactly they need for their their application set. So that that is a that is a good idea all around. One final point, of course, that Intel is not only looking at HPC and, and enterprise, but they're they're considering AI quite a bit, and they are positioning this as part of their overall. AI data center play with the Intel Xeon scalable platform being their all-purpose agile processor, but they're still looking at Xeon 5 for the higher, highly parallel applications, particularly for deep learning uh, training, and then using the FPGAs for flexible acceleration, particularly on the inference side. And then we're still looking forward to the Crest family, uh, which uh, is based on the Nirvana acquisition, and that's going to be a, a future that we're going to see in 2018. Yeah, originally I think they were they were sort of targeting this year, but I think some of that that has has definitely moved out. And of course, they like you said, they sort of want to keep that differentiation between their their multi core and their many core lines. So they're they're doing that as well. They've sort of got a lot of balls to juggle now with with the many core, the multi core, and the FPGAs. But uh, it looks like they're they're figuring it out as they go along. So there's a lot to dig into here with this uh, new Xeon announcement, particularly with how dominant Intel has been in this field. This has been a, a widely anticipated upgrade. I know you've got coverage of it in top500.org and uh, I'm glad to at least give an overview of it on this podcast. I know we're going to be continuing to analyze the competitive landscape here for a long time. Yeah, I mean, we're obviously we're going to see these uh, chips make their way into the ecosystem. We should mention that even before this was officially announced, there were three systems on the top 500 that that had uh, that had these scalable processors in it. There were two, I think, two gold uh, systems and and a platinum system that became supercomputers in uh, just this past June. But uh, over the next six months, we're going to see a lot more of these systems work their way into the field. All right, Michael, thanks a lot. The new Intel Xeon scalable platform. Uh, we're going to be seeing it uh, a lot in the HPC market. Thanks for joining me, Michael, and thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.